Alright, welcome to Father Son Preppers. Um, I'm here with my dad, Tony. Say hi, Tony. Hi. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about prepper navigation. Um, what do you think about that, Dad? Well, I think it's something we probably need to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, because actually, I don't have a compass in either one of my bug out bags. Really? I guess I assume I know I'm always going to be right around here, but that doesn't mean that. Right, yeah, you could be... out of town somewhere. And... Well, yeah, you could be in... Den well, I mean, even in Denver, with the mountains and stuff, you can kind of see get an idea where you're going, but once you're in the mountains, it might get a little confusing. The Rocky Mountains? Yeah, it could be really, really confusing. Yeah, but, on, but seriously, after today's episode, I think you will be comfortable without your compass. I mean, you may not know exactly where you are, but once you got over closer to the area, you'd re you'd recognize where you were, I think. Yeah. But I've got some cool stuff. But um, let's see. We we change. We're gonna be changing the website up a bunch. I just want to let everyone know that it's just gonna change slowly until we get sort of a a really good feel for it. So just want to let people know that they can expect to see changes. Um, constantly. <laughs> yeah, constantly. We've got good articles coming out, really. I've been spending a lot of time working on them. The one you read, you liked, right? What was that? The number two reason preppers will fail when shit hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. Just that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not on the site yet, but I just want to let people know that there's stuff coming out that's really cool. So, um, we want to start adding, in our shows, we want to add constant sections. So, we want to add, like, a new section... Um, a cool prepper gadget section, and then after the main content, we'll add like a prepper tip, Tony's prepper tip. So that's just kind of the, the flow we're going to do. What do you think? Does that sound like a good flow, Dad? <laughs> Sounds like a good flow to me. Okay, yeah. Just, I don't know. It seems like some of the shows we can just kind of go freestyle, but some of them I think we should keep doing this stuff because it's fun to look up cool prepper gadgets and kind of let people know, I think. Well, it's helping me learn, too. Yeah, well, today, especially today's episode, because the stuff I've learned about prepper navigation kind of blew my mind. It was so simple. It's it's not math. It's not using special tools. It's awesome. Anyway, so we want to start out with news. What did you have in the news today? Oh, I was just going to talk about the solar flares we've been having. We had a medium one Monday on the 8th, and then... Uh, a big X-Class one on Wednesday, and they said it could still affect us all the way up through Sunday. So what does that mean? Like, GPSs are going to act funny, or what? Uh, satellites, uh, depending on the strength, it can affect anything. Yeah, well, that's a good point. All the way point. down to the phone call. Well, I read so, a... But they... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I read a thing that said, uh... So I read a like a title of a news story, and the guy called it a coronal mass ejection. Is that really what it's called? Yeah. A CME. It's plasma. Yeah, but this the the CME coronal mass injection or ejection. It sounded cool. But they so look cooler. But aren't our? <laughs> let me ask you this: Aren't our satellites inside of our magnetic field still? Uh. I thought they were. Like I, I was under the impression that our kind of our positioning satellites and stuff, they could still be affected. But I thought they were within our magnetic shield, sort of, of the Earth. 
And I'm not sure about magnetic shield. Yeah. But I think there are... Our atmosphere protects us from a lot of stuff. Right, yeah, it does. But so, I, but you, um, but another thing I just want to throw in there, I know for a fact our magnetic field protects us from a lot of the sun's harmfulness. I'm not saying I know exactly the math behind it, but I, but I read enough to know that it definitely protects well, us. Well, I know it affects the poles more right, the, than it affects the equator in a sense. Oh. And that is a magnetic field. Yeah, I wonder why that. Hmm. And it affects the, the northern lights, which is the magnetic field. So, yes, it's messing with the magnetic field. Okay. Well, I, just, I think it depends on how much. Well, I know I've listened to that one. I listen to the science show all the time. And the guy said one of the problems with a solar flare, flare is that if it's big enough, it'll strip our magnetic field completely and fry our atmosphere <laughs> and all of us. So... I'm guessing they didn't well, do that since we're all alive still, but... Well, they had some big ones in 1921 and all the way back in 1859. But they had one that burned up telegraph wires, telegraph machines. That's the lowest technology to me there is, you know. And these solar flares were so big that it burned up telegraph lines. Yeah. So if something of that magnitude hit us now. We'd be screwed. This this one guy I was reading an article, Mike Wall, was saying that a big one like that would destroy the electrical grid. And he said it'd take a year to fix, and I started thinking on that for a minute. It'd take a year to fix and one to two trillion dollars worth of damage. And I thought, a year to fix. Yeah. The United States down for one year. Electricity. I don't think it would ever come back up. We would go back to the 1800s, and half of us would die off. The riots—it'd be—it'd be a terrible thing. It's just not like you turn the lights off and start working on them again and throw them back together. Everything runs off electricity. Yeah, and can I add something to that? I wanted to say that you just reminded me. I was thinking about how they would try to maybe fix the lines within a city like maybe New York City and then the closest power plant. But then I, w I had a class, uh, I work at a power plant, so I had a class from one of the big transmission guys, the power transmission guys, and we were talking about uh, a black start. So if there's no power anywhere in our whole our whole grid on the western, in the western United States, um, what would we do? Well, they have these plants that are that are basically black start plants, so like a hydro plant it can get its generators turning without power. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like in my plant, it's a coal plant. We need 10 megawatts to make 100 megawatts in my plant. Straight up. Without 10 megawatts, we don't start anything because we have to have giant air air fans, you know, giant uh, coal feeders, all kinds of stuff. So what they Water would do power. is they would start up a hydro or two hydros and then isolate the transmission line you know, several, several hundred miles to the one of the big, big plants. And then the big plant would use that power exclusively to start up. And then it would transmit, and then they would slowly open it up to the next smaller power plants. You get what I'm saying? 
-hmm. So that one hydro would power one big power plant hundreds of miles away. And then from there, and, but, but that's that's the point. If like by New York City, they don't really have hydro and they definitely don't have enough solar to to, to power a city or a start a power plant. So they would be yeah. totally screwed. I mean, well, if, that, the trans, if the transmission lines were not damaged, but every time there is a substation, the transformers, the breakers, switches like that, from what I've heard, would all be burned up. They're like the transformers on your poles by your house. That's the type of stuff that would be burned up. A lot of stuff we don't even make in this country. We order it out. And so if we were down, to replace that stuff would be just an astronomical hard thing to do. There would be no gas to drive the trucks around to go get it, to haul it from the coast. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't be anything. So when this guy just made it sound like it was, it'd take a year to fix, a couple trillion dollars would be no big deal. We all would just make it through it. I'm thinking. Yeah, it does seem like our grid's kind of crappy, doesn't it? I can tell you that for sure, but I've sure heard from other people that it's in poor repair. Yeah. That's interesting so, to me. I do know that there are some plants that have giant diesel generators uh, that can kick on to start the plant. I don't know of any plants. You know, I haven't been to any plants that actually have that, but I've heard of it. So they just have a big and, diesel tank. Yeah. Well, what about nuclear? Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, actually, I don't know. I don't know enough about nuclear to tell you. It would depend on what instruments were damaged by the solar flare. If nothing was damaged... They should be able to be up and running and at least put it out. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the problem with transmission lines is that it's it's long sections of a conductor over a big area. And then mm -hmm. voltage is based on the potential difference between, in this case, the atmosphere full of electrons and stuff, and then the, the line having nothing or being grounded or whatever it is. And that potential causes the explosion of all your transformers and insulators. You would think the government or the military would have thought of this scenario and EMPs from a nuclear explosion to cover power plants, in a sense, to get them a little bit more, I don't know, protected? Yeah. You know, that type of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I think it would be just such an... Ex I think it would just be such a crazy expense and such a crazy difficult thing to do all over the whole country that I don't know I just I don't know I bet I bet you 10 bucks that the White House has food storage for stuff like that food storage yeah I bet they oh. have a crap ton of food storage at the White House or or in an area where they bug out to oh, oh yeah they gotta have five to ten years case of uh, nuclear weapons, you know. Well, they're protected. The rest of us aren't, but they are protected, trust me. That's what I'm saying. If the if everybody prepped, people might not all freak out at once, like the, like what will happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we'll see. That, that won't happen, but... So do we think well, it's going to do anything? The solar flares? Do you think they're going to do anything, any damage? 
Oh, these ones now? Yeah. Well, the only reason they're thinking it might be different, well, one, it was an X-Class, the one on Wednesday, which is big, and so they never know 100% sure how bad it's going to be. But it was a combination of the two. They said the, the Wednesday one is going to catch the Monday one about the time it hits. And so they don't know if the, the double wave, if they would actually mix together somehow and make it a lot stronger. Oh, yeah, double whammy. That would be horrible. Or, yeah, if it was not going to do anything. It was just, they never had a couple really close together like that on record, I don't think. So that was just a little bit of a concern. But that sun shoots them off, and they look big, and they don't do anything. Then a little one goes off and messes up a whole bunch of satellites. So they really, I don't think, can tell the strength of that those plasma burst. So I think it's, yeah, we're just, we tell it hits us and then <laughs> decide how bad it was. Yeah, wish we had prepped more, huh? Definitely. Wish they would. That was a big thing. Yeah, I don't know. So that's that's crazy. So when uh, say that again. When is it supposed to be the max? Today? Like Tomorrow? now? Yeah. Okay. It's supposed to. It said it's supposed to be continued through Sunday. Well, I have the world's so, crappiest internet provider, and it's still up. So I think we're good so far. <laughs> so far, yeah. Uh, cool. Well, what else? What do we? Do you want to move on to the the cool prepper gadget of the show? Yeah. I'd like to talk about these fishermen, uh, these yo-yo fishermen things. They're like a, petition say they're not like a yo-yo. They're like an auto they are, reel. They are a spring-loaded yo-yo type thing that your fishing line is hooked to, and you could hang this from a tree or a little stand if you were doing it over an ice hole, ice fishing. Oh, nice. And when that fish pulls on it, it unreleases the spring-loaded tension, and the yo-yo actually pulls on the string and hooks your fish for you. Yeah. So the whole thing about this is to be able to fish and not be there. Yeah, I'm guessing so that's illegal. Yeah, it probably is illegal. So save it, for the <laughs> save it for the survival. I, so I, Well, they sell them, so I'm not sure. There might be states... Well, yo-yos are legal. Well, I bet they're legal if you sit there and stare at it and don't have another pole in the water. Right? That's probably legal. Maybe. <coughs> yeah, because you're able to set your pole down as long as you stay within so many feet of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But these things are really cheap. I mean, you get six of them for $15 through Amazon. Yes. That is pretty darn cheap. They're really light. And they should be in everybody's blackout bag. It's even more near water. Even if you're not near water, you get stuck away from home. You could be running into water, a creek, a lake. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this. Do they come in different strengths or different sizes? Uh, not that I've seen. There's a few different brands, but they never talk about really strength. Yeah, could you get like a, get like a huge barrel-sized one for ocean fishing? Not that I've seen. That would be cool. Might be dangerous. The yo-yo fishermen, if you think about it, think if you made a little tripod over a frozen lake with a hole there and put these on there. You put out ten of these 
and take off and go hunting. Come back in the evening, you know, and you've got fish as well as whatever you got hunting. It's a, oh, what do they call that? It's passive. It's like a passive food gathering technique. What is that? That is a good question. It is a, oh, I'm trying to think what that guy called that. I'll think of it here in a second. Well, let me let me say this. You could also put it out there and then go back and stay by the fire at night or something or go to sleep. Oh, definitely. Put it I'm, overnight. Well, maybe it would freeze up, but you could always break the hole back out and pull your string. Yeah. That's cool. Just, they are just a, a perfect form of survival. And if you can hunt for food while you're hunting for food, it's just like being in two places at once. Yeah, two for... That means that person that you were going to have fishing could be out gathering firewood for the night. Do you think you could hide it? Do you think you could put it, like, um, hook it to, like, the base of a tree next to some water and then put a rock on the thing itself, a small rock that was just to conceal it? Oh, yeah. Because I'm, they're yeah. not strong enough to pull the fish out, are they? They are just they just set the hook and then hold it, right? No, the, they will, like, almost pull the fish's head out of water if it was put right above the water. Okay. If you put it, you know, six to eight inches above the water, it'd reel up there. Probably wouldn't pull the fish all the way out, but pull his head out of the water. Right. You know? But do you think you could lay it, like, along the... I don't know how to explain it. Like, right in the mud by the water, and then the line goes into the water kind of invisible? Set a rock yeah, on it? Yeah, I think you could. I think any time you have friction of the string running along the ground, it's going to take a little bit of the, the jerk out of it, you know? Yeah. But I still think it's going to work. Or you could hook it underneath a stump and stump out there floating and tie an anchor to it and nice. have it floating out there 10 feet and nobody would know the difference. Hmm. You know? How do you so put could, them in the water? Yeah, they're totally waterproof. So they could be underwater. No, I mean, how, how do you people. throw the line out? Like, say you're doing it from the side of a lake. How do you get the line out there? You just pull the line out oh, as okay. much as you need. Just, like, wrap it around a rock and throw the rock out in the middle of the lake and then just let it unroll? No, I would do it more like the lasso type thing, like a cowboy with a rope. <sighs> nice. Take out it and wrap it around your hand in loops. Yeah. And then the weight to your bait with a sinker you use to toss it out there and get it out there a little ways. Very cool. But definitely check into them and get them in your bug-out bags. Experiment with them. They're as cheap as they are. Yeah, you shouldn't be without them. Yeah. And they're not that heavy. I've seen... I've got... Didn't you give me some? I think I've got two yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah, they are super light. Definitely worth their weight in gold if you're near water. Or in fish. I guess you know, maybe more than that. Trout and stuff. Catfish. They have a pretty strong line come on them. But a catfish, you might want to put a little bit heavier line on them. Hmm. But they're pretty heavy-duty themselves, even though they're light. They're pretty heavy-duty. So I think you'd be fine with catfish, even. Yeah. Well, and the, the fish might... I mean, if you're not trying to actively pull the fish in, it might just be enough pull just to kind of wear the fish out over the hours and then just keep pulling it in as it wears it out. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, it's definitely going to keep tension on him, you know? Yeah. But it's so not going to pull like, like you would break it. a line. No, as long as that... That first little jerk is to set that hook so you don't lose him. 
and then he's just going to swim around wearing himself out until you come back and call him in for dinner. Cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And those are just, you can get those on Amazon really easy, right? Yes. Cool. Well, that's that. I think we should move on to the main topic. Okay. So what I did was I wanted to do some sort of navigating by the star or navigating by, you know, something that was reliable, always there. I mean, yeah, cloudy night, whatever, but for the for the most part, this this these techniques you can use with no tools, uh, no special math. I'm not going to drop numbers on you or any of that crap because I don't like that crap. You know, I don't want to figure out my exact latitude or longitude. I don't care about that. But knowing where north is, no matter where you are in the northern hemisphere, is awesome because from there you can figure out wherever you want to go. Especially if you're trying to walk out of some place and you're wanting to walk at night. Right. And I'm not saying this is going to be exact. Like, this is not, uh, this isn't, what do they call it, navigating by compass. This is not, you know, exact movement through areas with a compass. This is a little different. Yeah. This is just gene- general, I know which way north is, so I know which way kind of I want to go. Because part between, of my strategy... Between two big cities? <laughs> yeah, well, part of my strategy... If I'm in a place I don't know, I should have a map of it. Yeah. If, in my opinion, everyone should have a map, even if just to show them, you know, frequent water sources that they don't know about, or something like that. So once you, if you have a map and you kind of got an idea which way you want to go, once you get near there, you can find it using natural, you know, landmarks. Yeah. Even back east, there's you know where there's forests everywhere. You'll eventually find landmarks like. Big ponds, big lakes, stuff like that. Well, I noticed growing up around mountains, when I was in Mississippi, I didn't have any landmarks. Yeah. No trees. You know, your landmarks is running into a river. Yeah. Running into a Mississippi River. So I was, I was lost bad a lot of times. It'd get dark and... Yeah, if you didn't catch the way that sun went down or something, you know, you'd totally get misoriented, disoriented, because there was no, there was no mountain peak to spot, you know? Yeah. So that was, it was different for me. It is different, and if you're in a place where you can see, for instance, uh, my wife isn't from this area, right? She's from Florida. Actually, she's from Texas, but anyway, she grew up in Florida, and in Florida... There's not really a whole lot of landmarks. It's kind of like it's it's a little bit better than Mississippi, but still you don't have mountain peaks. So what I did was I taught her. Around here you can see three major peak, three major mountain region, uh, mountain ranges basically, yeah. and I taught her which ones were which because of the the way they looked, and then which one. You know, which one we live by, which one this town is by, so that no matter what, if she's in the desert or in the in the forest or wherever, she can get on top of something, see which mountain is which, and find her way home, for sure. That is very good. Or yeah. even to your house, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, what I, I mean, just from when growing up around here, I know where all the mountain ranges are from, you know, from your house into the next state south. Like, I could find my yeah. way home anywhere. Yeah. But well, some people can't have that. But anyway, these will help you no matter what. No matter what situation you're in, 
even if it's just traveling by night, kind of getting in a, a which way to want you want to go. So let's get into it. The first one is finding the North, the North Star, Polaris. Because literally, the the North Star, if you if you look at the North Star, just below it is is almost exactly, it's one degree off of true north. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. I know it's called the North Star, but the, the fact that it's so accurate is crazy. And I wanted to also say um, it's, a it's a little bit off from magnetic north because that, that varies a little bit. It's, it's one and a half degrees if you're, say, if you're doing compass work. You want to make sure you know the difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so when you're just walking and you're just trying to go, you know, northwest... Finding the North Star and then, you know, turning a little bit to the left and walking that way, that's that's good. It may, it may not be good over, you know, 500 miles or something, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. So how to find the North Star is was interesting to me because I kind of had an idea, but I never really knew. So the way to do it is find the Big Dipper, or, or it's also called Ursa Major. That's the only thing I can ever find. Yeah. Well, there's a Big Dipper and a Little Dipper. And one thing that's interesting is the the Big Dipper will always, if you, this is going to be hard to explain, but if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put a picture of it. So if you find the Big Dipper in the sky, right, mm -hmm. you have the cup part. So the four stars that make up the dipping part of the Dipper. Yeah. Now, the handle comes off of one side. And then the two stars on the very, on the edge of the cup, right? So like the front bottom of the cup and the front top of the cup. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. And if you line those stars up and you go upwards, like from the opening of the cup, they will always point to the North Star. I did not know that. Okay, are we, and, it, and the Big Dipper actually rotates throughout the night sky. But it will always point, in that, in that way, it will always point to the North Star. So it'll rotate, but yet it'll still keep pointing at the North Star. Yeah, the North Star will kind of stay put. It moves just a little bit, but to our eyes, it stays put. But the rest of the stars rotate around it, right? So I this. Did not know that either. <laughs> yeah. So if you go out and you look at the you look at the night sky, the Big Dipper is going to rotate around the North Star. So throughout the night, it'll rotate, but it'll always point to the the North Star. And I've got another tip that'll help you get right to the star from there. Okay. So the distance between the two stars that aim to the North Star, so like the front yeah. bottom and the front top of the cup, it's yeah. it's just about five of those spaces to the North Star. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that too, how far it was. Yeah, so it's really it's really easy. I mean, if you're looking at the stars and you're not in a, you know, downtown New York City with all the lights on, you should be able to find it. Yeah, it should be fairly close then. It's only yeah, five times. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, this information is good for, I'm going to kind of focus on Northern Hemisphere people. Okay. Because, you know, the Southern Hemisphere, they have a different thing. They have the Southern Cross. And it's cool, but I don't want to get into it because 99% of our audience is going to be the Northern Hemisphere. So. Okay. But, uh, Anyway, so that's how you find the North Star. Obviously, from there, you, you, know, you know, you aim towards the North Star. Straight down from there is, is true north, about true north. So 
you know, if you draw a line on the ground and aim it at the North Star and then you draw a cross line, you've got your, your North, South, East, and West. Does that make sense? That is tricky. So you're saying you could put these sticks in mm -mm. at night? You don't even need a stick. You're just looking at the stars. No, no, no. I, I just it made me think of something. So if you line up the North Star coming down, all right, could you line up roughly where the North Star was and mark it on the ground so you'd have it in the daylight? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, you don't... you. You kind of don't need to do that. First of all, you can follow it all night long. Right? True, but what about come daybreak? Well, come we've got another tip for directions using the sun. Oh. But it does it does take time to do that one. But what but what I'm saying is if you're traveling so much that I don't know, I think you just kind of have to be careful when you're traveling because if you get to a point where you don't know your direction, you hadn't Normally with this method, you'd set a landmark. Yeah. Like a point in the horizon, kind of, you know, maybe even if it's dark, you can kind of see that there's a hill in the moonlight. Yeah. You want to go towards that hill even during the day, right? Yeah. And I think that's important. But you're, you might have to use a combination. But really, it's just kind of, it's just kind of backup information. What I want people to do is just stick it in the back of their brain. I, I definitely want people to go out and look at it in the outside. Like, yeah. as soon as this show's over, I'm going to take Michelle outside and show her exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, I'll take my too and show her. Yeah, it's totally cool. This The next one is, is fun. It's not, it's useful, but it, if you have this method, you don't really need the other one, but it's really cool. So anyways, do you get okay. kind of the, the, the way to find the North Star through the Big Dipper? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the Big Dipper's yeah. easy. I mean, everyone can... I mean, everyone can find it, I think. If you just get a picture of it, which, um, what you should do is... Google it? Let you should, you should it. Google it, or if you should watch it on our YouTube channel, because I'll have pictures while, you know, during the show, I'll throw pictures up on the YouTube video. Also, I'm, I, ta I contacted the guy. I found this really cool site. This guy's like a navigation genius, and he wrote a bunch of books. I want to get permission from him to review one of his books and kind of point people in the direction of his information because he has ones that are he has books that are really cool on uh, he has some on just using animals to navigate and it's animals? really cool yeah like he's he has some crazy examples like sheep if they're in a windy area they will choose one side of a bush that's downwind to eat from so if you notice one side of the bush is eaten off of than the other, and you know what direction your wind normally comes from, you can find the direction, you know, north, south, east, west, no matter what. How crazy. And it's more advanced, but I think some people really like it. I want to give his website just to just to be friendly, but I I am I I talked to him and I'm going to get his permission to use more of his content on our site. But it's naturalnavigator.com. So. You know, I want to give a shout-out to that guy for having some really cool stuff on there. But, anyway, I'll try to get one of his books and review it. I asked him if he would be willing to, you know, to kind of share some of his content with me so I could share it with everybody on the site. Yeah. But, anyway, 
back to what I was saying. Anyway, so you can find, if you use the Big Dipper, or some people call it the saucepan, some people call it the plow, um, but its main name is Ursa Major. The front top and front bottom of the cup point to the star Polaris, which is the North Star, and it's about five of those distances to the North Star. So, there you go. Five distances of the depth of the pan. Yeah, exactly. And okay. so, the next thing is actually really cool. Because my favorite constellation is Orion. Do you know that one? Heard of it. I don't. I couldn't pick it out. Well, the trick. There's a trick to picking it out, and you will. You will pick it out instantly after today. I believe you will. So okay. Orion is is not is is a really cool constellation. Uh, the trick to pointing it out is to find those three stars that are really close together, that are almost in a line, and they're very bright. And I bet if you go out tonight and you look and you find it, you, you'll you see it instantly and you'll be like, okay, that's Orion's belt. I know it. Okay. It's one of those things that once you see it once, your brain will never forget it. Okay. But it's really cool because you can find almost perfect east and west using Orion's belt. Is yeah, that cool? East and west? Yeah, what it does is it will always... Rise in the east and set in the west. And I'm talking, it's more it's more useful than the sun. That's how perfect it is. Because the sun does move across the horizon as it comes up and down throughout the year. Yeah. So be careful not to just navigate by the sun because you may just really screw your chances of getting somewhere. Well, I just noticed that tonight, how fast the sun is moving. Because before... Just weeks ago, it was shining straight in my back windows onto my TV. Yeah. Tonight, it was not shining on my TV at all. That just gives you an idea of how fast that sun is changing its position. Yeah, and the last tip will show you how to use the sun, no matter what, no matter what time of the year, to find your direction. With, I mean, using only a stick. It's literally awesome. It's cool. When I read it, I thought, I've got to share this. This is awesome. But anyway, let's go back to Orion's Belt. So... I'll show a picture of Orion's belt also, but I really think people should go out and just look at the night sky. Just go out. Maybe they can stay up one night and just, as soon as it gets dark, go look for it. It's just three stars almost in a perfect line, really bright and really close to each other. They come up in the east and down in the west? Yeah, rises in the east and sets in the west. And let me tell you, there's another part to this. The belt has uh, three stars, right? Yeah. So the, the first star to rise and the first star to set of the belt, because it's kind of tilted, so every time it comes up, it's the same star that rises first and the same star that sets first. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, that so. star is called Mintaka, okay? And I don't, you know, the name, whatever, just so you know. So the first star to rise and the first star to set, that star is almost perfectly aligned with perfect east and perfect west. As it sets and and and, raise, and uh, raises. That is good. Yeah. So if you can, yeah. So if you can kind of catch it as it's coming up in the morning or going down at night, you get perfect directions. I mean, between these two things, you could travel at night very easily. Is this what the sailors use with these same stars? Yeah, I mean, they did a lot more, like, with the North Star. I mean, there's more to it. Like, if you wanted to calculate how far away from the North Pole you were, you know, 
you would use yeah. you would calculate the degrees using a sextant on how far up against the horizon it is and that they also use that so like they know which direction they are and then how far from the north pole they are but those yeah those guys are way advanced and I didn't want to get into that cuz I don't think that most people care honestly I shouldn't need it unless you're out on a ship somewhere yeah well the, but this stuff this the book that I'm going to review if this guy will let me it will give that and people can dig deeper on these things Okay. But that Orion's belt is, I mean, you got to go out and look for it. It's cool. It's just really cool. And, and you know, I think that uh, between the Orion's belt and, you know, where it rises and sets, and then the North Star, you should be traveling perfectly every night that you can see the stars. I love it. Yeah, and it's so easy. You don't have to use any tools or any crap. That's what I was worried about when we first were going to do this. I was like... Am I going to have to get everyone a sextant or a protractor or something and then have them set up a <laughs> a metal rod in their backyard, you know, all that? I didn't want to do that. Yeah. But anyway, that's cool. So what well, else do I want to say? because they don't have to pack anything with them. Right. And the next one, you do need a tool, but it is so easy. I'm telling you, it's so easy. Okay. So the next one is going to be finding a true north-south line using the sun's the sun's position in midday. So okay. w what you do is you find a straight stick. That's the tool. Doesn't matter how long it is. You know, you don't need an Indiana Jones staff with a crystal in it or any of that crap. You just need to find a straight stick. And sometime before midday, and midday is not noon. Midday is just whenever the sun's at its highest, right? That's just, I thought that was noon. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it isn't. So just remember that when you're when you're bugging out or something and you're looking at your watch waiting for 11:30 to put the stick in the ground you know make sure you're you're paying attention to that. I mean and honestly if you're in a survival situation you're going to be much more aware of nature than you are now At night you're going to be sitting there looking at the stars figuring this stuff out I think Yeah and from what little we know now from just this what we've shared on the on the show I think people are going to be paying a lot more attention to the stars and the sun and the way it moves when they're bugging out or when they're, you know, running or when they're whatever. When they're sitting out there keeping guard over their family at night. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that's when... I mean, that's why a lot of the primitive civilizations did so much star work because sometimes you don't have a candle or you don't want to light a fire and you're not tired. Bam. How many times have we, yeah. have we not been tired and got on the internet? Yeah. Well, if you don't have the internet, you're going to find other ways to entertain yourself. That's going to mess with a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's going to be hard not to have Facebook, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I hate Facebook. Anyway, so what, what you do is you get a straight stick. Sometime before midday, and, and let me tell you, this works anywhere north of the Tropic of Cancer. Okay, what the heck is that? The Tropic of Cancer, I'm not going to say because I am... I'm feeling very embarrassed that I don't know what that is. It's it's a it's an east-west line that is somewhere by the equator. Okay. I don't know if it's the one below the equator. I believe it's the one just a little bit above the equator. Okay. But I don't know, and I feel really dumb. In fact, I'm not going to do that to you guys. I'm going to Google it right now. <laughs> okay. I, I have to do this. I don't want to be the guy that doesn't know. Okay, here's what it is. Yeah. So it is a line. It is above the equator. 
and it is used for it kind of cuts across the middle of Mexico sort of at okay. the like the bottom just below the tip of Florida and just below the what do they call that that big peninsula in Mexico Baja like Baja okay. yeah exactly it's it's just a little bit below there okay here's what here's the actual definition from Wikipedia the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn Capricorn is the one just a little bit south of the equator. Mark the northmost and southernmost latitudes at which the sun may be seen directly overhead. Okay. So I'm guessing... I see the part of the sun moves that direction. Oh, I see. So between those lines near the equator, the sun yeah. goes directly overhead. So okay. if you're above or below that, the sun makes this curve in the sky, and you'll know what I'm talking about when I tell you this method of finding north-south line. That's why you need to be above the, the Tropic of Cancer. Okay. And here's why. Because if the sun went directly overhead, when you have your stick in the ground and you're doing this method, there would be no shadow. It would be dead center. Yeah, midday would have no shadow, and you would have one point to work from instead of two points which make a line right okay and so the the trick is um in the northern hemisphere this will work fine so you're in america canada you're fine put the okay. stick in the ground before midday and where the shadow is of the stick put like a rock or mark it go wait like 20 30 minutes mark it again and then at midday you know as it's moving you're marking it from a little bit yeah. before midday to a little bit after right okay so where this curve is because it's going to be a curve in the ground where you mark the shadow where it yeah. was closest to the stick that is a perfect north-south line between that point and the stick where it's in the ground closest to the stick yeah so it'll make like a, and I'm a, i'll put a picture of this up on uh the video even if i have to make one myself because it's going to be okay. hard but so, like, imagine you have a stick in the ground, and the shadow points yeah. one way, right? Yeah. Well, as the sun moves, that shadow's going to be like a curve, and it's going to curve cl towards the stick. I just figured the curve would stay a perfect curve. I didn't realize it was going to not be a perfect half circle. It, it, it would I mean? be a half circle, but aiming away from the stick. Yeah. So there will be a point when it's closest to the stick. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So imagine like a mountain tipped on its side pointing towards a stick. That's the kind of mm -hmm. angle it's going to make, sort of. Okay. So when that point is closest to the stick, that's a north-south line. And in our part of the world, where the shadow hits the stick is directly south. Makes sense. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And in a... In, and from that, from a perfect north-south line, I mean, you just take 90 degrees, and that's a perfect east-west line. So there you go. Every day when you stop for lunch, if you can kind of get an idea where midday is, you can stop for like two or three hours, do some you hunting. Sit down during the hottest part of the day or something? Yeah. Put your stick out, and again, hang out in the shade, and just keep marking it through the, f the few hours in the day. And you've got a perfect north-south line, no tools, no math. I love it. Yeah, and so where we are, and this works in the UK, Russia, United States, Canada, north, you know, northern part of Mexico. Alaska. This whole, yeah, this whole 
northern part of the world above the Tropic of Cancer, you could use this method. Well, if they were below that, on the other side of the East Crater, would it be just the opposite? It would be. It would be pointing in the other direction? Yeah, well, south and north would be different. Yeah. Yeah. It's It would just be exactly opposite. And then I believe at the Tropic of Cancer and Capricorn and in between, there would be a point where there was no shadow. So you wouldn't have a line. Yeah. Man, I'm learning so much crap. I learned this stuff, and I love I love this stuff. This is the kind of stuff people should know, I think. Definitely. But yeah, that's... That's what I go do and teach everybody in the family as well. Yeah, and that and that's part of my article coming out is that you know take your family out, try your gear out, try your skills out. That's about taking the granddaughters out and showing them. Yeah, that would be cool to teach Nicole's kids. Yeah, that would be awesome, yeah. and they might love it. And you could do it in your backyard. I could do it in my backyard. Yeah, that would be cool. Girls love getting out in the desert. But you know what you should do if you teach them the star thing, show them a picture of it first and I'll give you a good link that actually that uh naturalnavigator.com has a really cool graphic that shows it and then the girls or people who aren't you know astronomically inclined or however you say that would be you know they'll be able to see it easier they'll be able to pick it up yeah. much quicker definitely sometimes yeah a picture does definitely help yeah, I don't know. I just I'm really stoked about this topic. I think it's great. And if if I find anything else out, we'll throw it in the show as a prepper tip. Sounds good. But we'll put John's prepper tip and not Tony's. <laughs> okay. So do you feel? I mean, do you feel comfortable that you could find the North Star now? Yeah, I'm gonna go right out there and find it instantly. I think. Yeah, maybe I'll call you and walk out there with you. Okay. I'll call you and we'll both go out in the yard and see if we can find it. Sounds good. But uh, that's it. That's all I had. But I think that's oh, man. I loved it when I was reading this. I loved. It. I love this guy's stuff. I'm gonna write a huge article on it. Hopefully. Um. So let's do your Tony's prepper tip. All right. I got a tip. Uh, I was going to do some flint napping, which means more or less making arrowheads. Sweet. Like the primitive Indians did, and found out that, yeah, it's a little harder than it looks. Flint is a hard rock, and it helps to have the right tools, an antler tip or something. And then I happened to find a video, and they were making some out of glass. And glass, come to find out, is a whole lot softer than flint. So one day I was out at work, and I was waiting for a piece of equipment to show up, and there's a broken bottle there picked it up, and I used a regular screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver, just the ends, and a bottle of a green glass or something, and I sat there and chipped on it. I was able to chip out the really crude arrowhead using uh, <laughs> a couple of screwdrivers, and I was just setting them down, or I had a block of wood, and set my leather glove down to set it on, and sit there and just chipped on it, and I was surprised. And we have a shit-hit-the-fan scenario. There's going to be a lot of glass bottles around. And flint napping 
I mean, it's just a wonderful thing to learn, whether it be for a spear, for traps, you know, yeah. sharp stick. Because they'll work. If they're not per even if they're not perfect, if you can put them on the end of a stick, they're going to work, right? Exactly. And glass is sharp. We don't know that. I mean, <laughs> you yeah. end up with some sharp thing there. But I was just totally shocked how much easier it was. So if you've ever tried it or haven't tried it or been discouraged, get some glass bottles and start working off the bottom. There's some killer videos out there on YouTube. And... Work on the bottles first before the flint. The bottom of that glass is just a whole lot softer. And you'll be surprised what crude arrowhead you can pop out without hardly any practice. Yeah. Do you do you think you could show people kind of a, a, an intro to it, you think? I think so. Literally using, you know, what did you say, a flathead, a, the bottom a of a beer and bottle, Phillips. and a Phillips. Yeah. yeah. Phillips. That is cool. And that's that gives you a good reason to drink beer, I think. <laughs> yeah, good excuse. Yeah, we gotta get food. <laughs> we need beer. <laughs> that's great. Uh-huh. That is awesome. That's a good tip. And maybe we'll do something on that. Maybe we'll do like a YouTube video slash article on it. I think everybody ought to give it a try. I mean, everybody's got a screwdriver. You know. Yeah. Ice pick. Something, you know, maybe not an ice pick, a little dollar than an ice pick, <laughs> unless you could dollar it way up. Yeah, so you need something sort of pointy and something sort of flat. Yeah, and look at a couple of videos so you're getting, so you know the idea of cool. kidnapping, you know, behind it, <laughs> and give it a try. At least you, you know that you could make something crude yeah. and have it in case you needed it. And not just an arrowhead. If you needed it, you could just sharpen up by flint napping one side and use that half a bottle bottom to skin an animal, you know? Yeah. So you're not trying to make an actual sharp edge on it, are you? You're, you're just trying to make a point? No, what I'm saying is that the sharp edge happens all on its own. Oh. Glass is sharp, you know? Do you no think... matter how you break it or chip it, it's still going to be fairly sharp. Huh. Do you think you could skin hide with, uh, you know, you could skin oh, yeah. the hide off a deer with the edge of a broken bottle? Like, if you could kind of break it long ways and get a long edge? Well, oh, yeah. Like, if you just say you get the bottom of a bottle, break it in half, all right? And rub the one half, the edge where it broke off the actual bottle part on a rock, to doll it so it doesn't cut you. And then the one straight side there, Flint nap it to where you're chipping it from both sides, like you would an arrowhead. Okay. And now you've got a two inch long or so, depending on the bottom bottom, blade. Hmm. That you could use just like a skinner and skin your animals. So you're saying we should buy whiskey bottles instead of beer bottles? Yeah, yeah whiskey bottle bottom would probably be pretty good. <laughs> Spear tip. Yeah. <laughs> but then you'd probably cut your wrist. If you, you know, Whoa, let's not go there. Bleed out anyway. If you're going to do it, do it safely, right? Wear, maybe wear yeah. gloves. Definitely. I, I think you could use some uh, good leather gloves and it would be helpful. And some glasses. Safety glasses. Oh, yeah, safety glasses. I don't want someone Definitely. to poke their eye out trying to be prepared. Yeah, with just a little chip of glass. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. a nasty thing. But give it a try. That reminds me of that uh, Christmas show. 
where it's the BB gun where they, you'll shoot your eye out. (laughs) (laughs) You can just see us out there chipping glass and shooting our eyes out with it. Uh Uh-huh. I'm surprised with the flint, how many pieces I had scattered all over the house. Then I realized I couldn't do it in the house. I was making too big of a mess. Yeah. That's cool. That's a good prepper tip. So I think that's it. I mean, I think we did a good show. I think so, too. Hopefully we taught somebody something. We taught me something. Yeah, so here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to add a new section of the show, but we need to wait till we get more people. Uh, but what it is, is it's going to be sort of like a, an every day, an every show scenario. So I want, I want people to email us their, you know, what they have, maybe a picture of their bug out bag kind of, kind of opened up and laid out. And, and send in sort of what they have, and then we can talk about it on the show and what might help them or might hinder them depending on where they are. And I think that would be really fun for us to help people out. Okay. And so what I want to say is if anyone is listening and they have a bug out bag and they want to sort of get it on the show, and, and we won't give names, you know, we don't want to give the government your address or any of that crap, but it would be fun to say, hey, John M. has this bug out bag. And he, here's a picture of it laid out, and here's kind of what he has in it and what we think might help him, you know? Yeah. Or maybe this knife is nice, but it's we found that it's tempered funny and the knife, it dulls really fast or something. Just stuff like that. I think people really get into that, and I would love to do it. Definitely. And then, so that's what I want to do. I want people to email us, john at fathersonpreppers.com. Send me a thousand emails if you want. I don't care. Email us. Tell us if you hate it, if you love it. What's your bug out bag like? You know, is your sister having a baby? Whatever it is. Tell us about it. I think we need to build a community, and that's. I really think that's the way to go with this. If we can all just be kind of like a big group of friends that help each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Uh, another thing, if, you, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the like button. Like and subscribe. That does wonders for us. Getting more people on and checking out more bug out bags and more scenarios. It literally, you know, it raises our ranks up on our videos. So that would be awesome. If you're on iTunes or Stitcher, um, listening in podcast form, give us a five-star review. That does the same thing. It basically brings us up to the level where we can start getting people just searching for prepper stuff. You know what I mean? That. So... Yep. I, I don't know. I'm going to try to tell everyone I know to do it if they like the show. So, I want it to be honest still. Definitely. What else? Yeah, we got articles coming out, so keep checking back on the website. I want to set up an email list. I don't think it's worth it right now because we don't have that much traffic, but once we start getting more people in, we'll set up an email list so I can tell people when we write articles and when the shows come out. And that's Perfect. it. I like it. Okay, well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and keep checking for the next...